So we are going to uh, dive into our series this morning, Gospel Restoration. I don't know if any of you guys watch those uh, restoration shows like on History, History Channel where they're restoring old things. I love those shows. Uh, I, I, I grew up kind of loving that stuff as a kid. I, I, uh, my, my grandparents, my grandma and grandpa Myers lived on this big ranch and they had the house that they lived in that was the newer house. And then there was an old, broken down, rickety, haunted looking house that was the old house that like my grandpa had uh, grew up in. And, uh, and it was, we just loved playing around in that house because there was just treasures in there, you know, just stuff. And I just loved finding stuff and, and it was dangerous and you would fall through the floorboards and, and, uh, and it was just, just great times. But uh, I love finding stuff and, you know, finding something dusty and crusty and smelling like, you know, rat do and, 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 and just cleaning it up and kind of making it new again. I, I love that whole stuff. And it's kind of what we're doing with the gospel and this gospel restoration. Uh, I, I, the, it does not smell like rat do. But it is, uh, it, we're, we're kind of taking something that at one time was vibrant and exciting and life-changing uh, that was genuinely good news that I think over the last couple thousand years has a, a, a kind of a, had some dust accumulate on it and some, it's not, it's kind of lost its luster a little bit. And we have taken what was this good news story and, and, and we have distilled it from um, good news into this kind of formula where it's like, you know, come down front and say a prayer or slip up your hand and we'll, we'll you know, repeat after me and then you embrace Jesus and kind of get your life right. And that's the good news. That's not really good news. That's more like good advice, you know, and, and Jesus didn't really come to give us good advice. He came to give us something brand new, something really like good is not even a good enough word like it's really really great and and so what we want to do is kind of root that gospel back into the story of which it grew out of and we've been talking about that for the last several weeks and uh, just real quickly you know the, the story started off at creation god created everything he created it perfectly then man comes into place and, and sins against god god's perfect creation perfect communion with humans is then broken, fractured, uh, and we are suddenly, we, we, we cannot live in the same kind of relationship with God as we once did because he's so holy and we're so sinful. Then uh, God immediately starts this plan in place to redeem all of creation, redeem our, you know, make our relationship with him whole again. It starts with a covenant with this man, Abraham, in which he basically says, you know, I'm going to bless the world through you. And he tells him also, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you kids. He didn't have either. He was old. And, uh, and so God begins to usher in this plan of blessing the whole world, restoring, redeeming the whole world through this man and his family, Abraham. Abraham, his, and him and his wife, and eventually their baby boy that was born when they were like 90 and 100 years old because uh, God was faithful to his promise to them. That little family grows into what we know as the nation of Israel. Hundreds of years after all of this takes place, Israel finds itself in slavery in, in the country of Egypt. And God frees them from that slavery, slavery to deliver them to their, uh, what they called their promised land. And, uh, and then in the process also makes a covenant with them 
what we call the conditional covenant, an if covenant. If you follow me, if you stay faithful to me, then I will use you to be a kind of lighthouse to the rest of the world. That the rest of the world will find out about my redemptive plan through you as a nation. And, uh, and then also handed down to them laws and stuff, and they became this nation of, of laws. Law was their way to God and that sort of thing. The problem was they, couldn't, they, they didn't hold up their end of the bar, bargain. And so God, in his unconditional covenant with Abraham, would still fulfill through his family and through his bloodline this whole thing of, of, of a deliverer who would set things right. But in his conditional covenant with the nation of Israel... Basically, you haven't been you haven't been faithful, and so then last week we talked about how the nation was then put into exile, and this exile looked you know looked like a couple of different things. One first up, it was the nation of Assyria that came in and just invaded them and took them into captivity, uh, just absolutely decimated them, made a, a shameful name of their of the name of their country, and and uh, after several decades, you know they they were able to go back to their homeland. Then, you know, they do the wicked, you know, disobedient nation thing again, worshiping other gods. This time Babylon comes in, completely sacks them, and they're taken into captivity. And then after decades and decades and decades, uh, finally are, are freed and allowed to go back to their homeland. But they continue this cycle of, you know, like faithfulness, then disobedience, rebellion, idolatry, punishment in the form of exile, and then repentance, and then there's just the cycle keeps going over and over and again. It's where we fast forward now. This week we're going from Old Testament into New Testament, and what we find is that they're still in that cycle again. Their their exile now is in the form of of uh, the country of Rome. Rome has. Uh, set up, you know, they basically conquered the whole world at that time. And, and so Israel is no different than that. And, and so Rome occupies all of Israel and it's, it's a very shady relationship they have going with Rome and um, a lot of, you know, just, just brutality and, you know, behaving like a nation does that's trying to conquer another nation. It's just not a good relationship. And they feel oppressed. They feel like they're, like they are, like they're still in exile. Right, but but this has happened again for like century after century after century, where um, now they have they have felt distant from God, like no longer blessed by God, and they are waiting now. All throughout all this prophecy of exile, if you don't repent and things like that, was also prophecy of hope in the form of what they called the Messiah. The Messiah was this one. God would send and he would set everything right. He would lead his people into freedom. He would set the captives free. He would, uh, the game would change under the leadership of this Messiah. And he would make Israel this proud nation, this people of God again. But for now, for century after century after century, they were just kind of feeling lost and in exile and hopeless, just hopeless. Like, like you have to like, Every boy and girl, Jewish boy and girl, that you know, they were brought up, they were taught the scriptures, they were taught about their God and their ancestors, but they were also taught the hope of this Messiah that would come. Things are bad. We're under occupation right now. Rome's in charge and we are disgraced. 
but hope is on its way. Hope is on its way. And, and child after child after child was taught this. And imagine going like generations of, of hearing about this hope that was to come and to never see any evidence of it at all. To never see any evidence. And then just, just the whole, like, <laughs> when I was a, a kid, like junior high age, my dad uh, for Christmas one year bought me and my brother a basketball goal. We were basketball freaks, and, and, uh, and so we wanted a goal of our own so we didn't have to go down the street and play at the, you know, a friend's house. But so one year for Christmas, he buys this basketball goal, and my dad is, uh, or was, not, not as much anymore, was a kind of notorious procrastinator, and I think it's genetic. Um, but he, uh, so, you know, for Christmas, we get this basketball goal and then it's like, dad, when are you gonna put the basketball goal? I'll, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. You know, I, I promise. And then it, like the basketball literally didn't go up until almost the next Christmas. Like, oh my, I know it's sad, isn't it? Like my, my childhood was horrible. Right. And, and so, so just that, and I can remember, just remember me and my brother being like, when's the basketball goal? I promise I'll get to it. I promise I'll get to it. And then, and then, you know, after several months go, go by, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe we'll get to play basketball someday. And, and, you know, just this kind of, <laughs> by the time it went up, we had lost all hope that it was ever going to go up, right? And I think there's some kind of uh, image of that in what's going on in Israel. Like they've been hearing these promises of something that God was going to remember them, but nothing, just defeat and kind of persecution, and like, I don't know if any of you guys identify with that feeling from time to time in your life when it's like, God, when are you going to remember me? Like, when are you going to see that I'm trying to be faithful and like, give me a break? When do I get to see the promises and when do I get to see the blessings? When are you going to remember that I took one for the team and volunteered for a few months in the junior high ministry? You know, that sort of, like, when are you going to remember me? I don't know, I don't know if, if you identify with that sentiment, but there have been times in my life where I feel a sense of hopelessness. But this was rooted in generations of hopelessness. Where when we get to the, the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, and we start reading uh, the story of Jesus, you have to keep in mind that the point in history that Jesus walks into may have been the most hopeless point in history in the history of Israel. They were desperate to the point that terrorist cells were springing up everywhere. Uh, violence was, you know, they were going to, they were going to take back their nation by force if they needed to. Um, and so all these secret meetings and terrorist cells and violence and things like that was, was going on. Just desperate feelings. God sends a prophet by the name of John. He was actually Jesus' cousin. John begins to gather people. John was a crazy cat. Like he, he, he didn't look like a normal preacher looked. He didn't talk like normal preachers talked. He was like old school, hardcore prophet, like gloom and doom, like raggedy clothes and eating a weird diet and living out in the wilderness and preaching his message out there. He didn't even come into the city. He just kind of stayed out in the wilderness. People came out to him to hear his message. And he was preaching this message of repentance. Matthew 3, 
verses 1 through 3, and then we'll skip down to verse 11. It says this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his message. Then Matthew says this, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, and he quotes this prophecy, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So Matthew gives this little commentary and said, John was this guy that was prophesied about, that would, be, that would come and prepare the way for the Messiah. And John's out there preaching this message of repentance. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he says the kingdom of heaven, uh, he does not mean heaven in the way that we tend to mean heaven. And his hearers did not hear heaven in the way we tend to think about heaven. He was not thinking, he was not telling them the afterlife is almost here. What he was saying to them is repent because God's kingdom, the way he has promised for ages and ages that he would restore everything and set it right, that kingdom is here now. It's coming. It's, it's here. It's on the doorstep right now. Repent. And when he's saying repent, he's not just saying, tell God you're sorry. Go ahead. Tell him you're sorry. That's not what he's saying. He's saying for the first time, in centuries, it's time for you to be Israel. You have claimed this, this kind of position where you think you've got God over a barrel because Abraham was your great, 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 great granddad. And you just think you can live however because you're his chosen people. It's time for you to start acting like Israel. It's time for you to be Israel. Turn from the way you're living your life right now and be who God called you to be. And that's his message. And then he, he says this there in verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And here he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is getting ready to come. He's preparing the way for Jesus. He's preparing the way for this Messiah. But they don't get that. They don't know that. Now, Mark, in his gospel, he includes this other detail I want to bring it out to you just because it's really interesting. He says this, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, if you're like me and you've, you've watched you know, a dozen different movies about Jesus or whatever, and anytime they portray John the Baptist, John the Baptist shows up, it's usually he's out by some murky looking, shady looking cow pond, uh, surrounded by, you know, one or two dozen followers. And they're kind of out there, you know, in the water, it's like this little hippie fest or what, you know, whatever. And, and that's kind of the way the movies tend to portray, but the way the Bible portrays John and his movement, his following is that, um, all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and they were being baptized and they were repenting all Judea, all Jerusalem. So I was, I was curious, what does that look like? What is all Judea and all Jerusalem? Turns out at this period of time in history, we're talking half a million people, 500,000 strong. Now the Bible says all. Now it could be that like if I go to, in a few weeks when I go to Mayfair and I'm seeing everybody I know at Mayfair and, and I come back and I'm telling people about the Mayfair and I'm like, oh man, like all of Dixon was there, like the whole town, Right? Now, do you guys really believe all of Dixon was there? No, it's because some people are smart and they don't go to Mayfair, right? And so, 
So I know some of you love Mayfair and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And so anyway, I'm, I'm somewhere in between there. So no, it's not everybody. It's not everybody. It's just like, wow. So I'm, let's give, let's, let's, let's say just for the sake of argument that when uh, Mark here is reporting this and he says all Judea and all Jerusalem, it's a little bit of exaggeration, probably not all, but let's, let's, let's say John uh, or Mark here exaggerates by twice. And it's, 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 it's like half of everybody. It's still 250,000 people. Let, let's, let's, let's go even further. Let's say he exaggerated by 10 times. We're still talking 50,000 people out there following John to hear his message because he is speaking their language. John comes on the scene at a time when, I, I use this example and I'm hesitant to use it. I, I told them I'll, I'll have to repent for it afterwards, but I'm going to use it anyway. John the Baptist was Israel's trump. Now, not in his character. (laughs) Not in his character. He was Israel's trump in that he was preaching a message that a big portion of that society was starving to hear. Agree or disagree with Trump? He has hit a nerve with a large portion of our nation because... They're just liking what they hear. I don't know how that makes you feel. I'm not going to go into it. It's not what this message is about. But John the Baptist comes into... Now, now, by the way, same thing with Trump. You go back 10, 20 years, he's saying that same message. He's a lunatic and nobody's paying attention to him. But at this point in history, it's fallen on ears that are ready to hear that message. Right or wrong. The same thing is, is true with John. John comes into history... In this moment where his message of things are not right and you know they're not right. This system is screwed up. You guys pretend like you're children of Abraham when you're so far from it. You need to repent because the kingdom is here now. They were starving for a different message. They were starving for that that message. And they came out of the woodworks, into the woodworks to hear him preach that message. By the thousands. By the thousands. And then Jesus, Matthew 4. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, John had been arrested, by the way, he withdrew into Galilee. Galilee, where it was the cities, villages, hamlets that were around the Sea of Galilee. No huge, large cities, uh, mostly kind of like smallish, mid-sized towns, right? And, And so Jesus goes into that area of Galilee. And then it says, uh, verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John is arrested. Jesus comes in now uh, and, and he takes up John's mantle of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so John was this prophet that everybody recognized, this, this man from, that God had sent. Jesus then slides in and he is preaching that exact same message that John prepared the way for, kind of stoked the fire for. And Jesus now, it becomes this, this other prophet who is out there preaching this same message. And then it says there, starting in verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. So Jesus he comes on the scene, 
He begins preaching this prophetic message of repent. The kingdom of heaven is, is, is at hand. It's time for you to start acting like, behaving like, being the Israel that God called and created you to be. It's time for you to start pretending to be his chosen people and start being his chosen people. It's time for you to stop going after your own way and worshiping other gods and compromising your faith and start being faithful. It's time to repent and turn around because the kingdom, God is finally setting everything right and it's here and it's here right now. And his popularity picks up where John's left off to where we see descriptions of Jesus going out and teaching and preaching his message and thousands are still coming out to hear him and thousands are still following him and they are like, God has finally remembered us because he's doing these signs. Not only was he preaching a great message, he's healing people of sickness and more. He's doing these great signs where he's, you know, he's feeding you know, 5,000 people with a Lunchable. He is just, uh, he is, he's just doing all these incredible, incredible things, things, acts that could only come from God. And people are looking at all this going, God, God has finally remembered us. God, he has sent a prophet that we can get behind, somebody that can lead us. And, 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 but they didn't see him. Like, it's really easy kind of for us to jump into the Bible 2,000 years later and look at this story and go, yay, Jesus, you know, God, God showed up and all, everything's great. But this is not where they were. They were not on the Jesus as God bandwagon yet. They were just at this place of, man, this, this, this is a serious prophet. We, we're finally seeing a prophet, a prophet and a prophecy like they saw in the days of old with Elijah and all those other prophets. We're finally seeing a prophet that can do those miraculous things and speak words that have to come from God because they're so far, far out of left field and and, and it resonates in our hearts. And he speaks with authority. They're like this prophet. He is the real deal. God has remembered us. He has, he is, we are hearing from him. We're hearing from him in the form of Jesus of Nazareth, this prophet. So, and, and they keep referring to him as that John chapter four, verse 17, Jesus said to her, by the way, Jesus meet, meets with this woman. He comes across this water. Well, meets with this woman at the well, and he begins to tell her things about herself that she really wanted to keep secret. And he says this, Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And, the, and then the woman, she it's the, it's the greatest like no dust statement in all of scripture. She says, uh, so sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Really? You think so? You think so? He's just told you your whole history. You think he's a prophet? But she's calling him a prophet. Luke seven, verse 15. And the dead man, a dead man, a dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother and fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, a great prophet has, ar- has risen among us and God has visited his people. Like, look at, dude, rose a guy, for, you know, got a guy up from the dead. And finally, we have a legit prophet amongst us like our, like our ancestors used to get from God. Matthew 21, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem towards the end of his ministry. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They're like, they are praising. This is why when Jesus enters Jerusalem, they're like, Hosanna, Hosanna with palm. Not, they weren't worshiping him. They were praising God that God had finally sent someone 
to speak with his voice, a prophet. He is the prophet that God has sent us. This is where they are. The first point I want to bring out here is that when Israel was hungry for a different message, God sent a different kind of prophet. Some of you right now, right now sitting in this room are hungry for a different message in your life. Either you have been hearing the wrong message or a empty message. Uh, maybe it's from just things you were taught growing up. Maybe it's just you're sick of the message you're hearing from just the system overall. And you're feeling that political unrest and things should be different than this or whatever it is. Maybe the different, you know, the, the wrong message or the, the false message that you've been hearing, maybe, just maybe, you haven't been hearing a good message from the church. Maybe all your life kind of in, in you know, church to church, what are the churches you've been a part of? You're like, it, it's just, there's no power in it. Where's the power? Where's the, seems like it's just, it just should be different than this. Maybe it's just the internal dialogue in your own head. You just got this sense, like, this is not right. There's got to be more to my life than this. I'm telling you, Jesus, or God is sending, in your hunger for a different message, he's sending a different kind of prophet to you this morning. He's sending you a different kind of message, one that you need to hear, one that you want to hear. So, this is what happens. Um, As John and Jesus had proclaimed this message of the kingdom, in this message was this idea, like I said earlier, that Israel was not being who they should be. God sends them directly to Israel. He He doesn't initially give Jesus this global stage. Jesus comes to Israel. Why? Because Israel were the people who were promised the Messiah. They are the ones who have been laying in hope for century after century after century. So God is going to respond to them first and get them on board with his new kingdom plan first, if they will listen. It started, but go back. We're going to look at what John said. Luke chapter three, verses seven through nine. John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the ax is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's like, you, you, you guys sit back as this, you know, holy nation of Israel. And there's nothing holy about you and you know it. Stop pretending. And you can sit there and you can use these arguments. Well, we're children of, of our father Abraham and God made a covenant with him and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, you're so foolish because here's the deal. If God wanted to, he could, he could raise up more children from Abraham out of these rocks. He doesn't need you. He's not interested in your bloodline. He's not interested in your law following. He wants faithful children. And then he, and he puts in this little thing at the end where he says, he says, uh, even right now, they are, God is laying the axe to the trees. He's cutting them off at the roots. And if you don't get on board with this new kingdom that he's bringing about, you're next. You're next. And there'll be a tree that comes along that will take your place. Get on board. And then Jesus tells this story. Jesus told a bunch of stories that we call parables. Again, this prophet Jesus, right? He's going throughout all the countryside and he's preaching and he's doing miracles. And 
Everybody's loving it. They're just, they can't get enough of it. And he begins to tell these stories. And, I, and I'm going to tell you this. If you'll go back and read the parables, many of which maybe you've read dozens, if not hundreds of times, what you'll begin to see is that almost, almost every single one of those parables is a story about Israel, is a story telling Israel to start being Israel instead of play acting. He tells this story in Matthew 21. He says, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and we'll have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the... Jesus asked this question. By the way, he's talking to a bunch of priests. He says, when, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, well, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? He quotes this prophecy. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And then he says, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. This whole thing is like, God sent you. He gave you everything. He prepared this place, this land, this country for you. He sent to you all the prophets and you beat them and you killed them and you stoned them. And now he sent his son and you're getting ready to do the exact same thing. And if you guys don't get on board with God's new kingdom, he'll give it to somebody else. He'll give it to somebody else. John the baptizer. Second point is this. John the baptizer. And Jesus of Nazareth preached the coming of God's new kingdom. And citizenship in this kingdom is only by faith and repentance. It doesn't matter who your granddaddy was. It doesn't matter what church you grew up in, what what temple, synagogue you you grew up in, what part of the country you, you hail from. None of that matters anymore. If you want to be a member of God's new kingdom that he's bringing about, the only thing that matters is have you repented? Do you have faith in him? Are you faithful? Are you faithful? Everything else, it doesn't matter. That's fake Israel. Like that's just, that, 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 that version of Israel is, is empty, and false, and God does not want it. To the point that God, you know, at other points of scripture says things like, like your sacrifices disgust me. Your sacrifices disgust me. I'm not, I don't care about your sacrifices. What I want is your faithfulness. He reiterates this message over and over, and John and Jesus now are saying the same message. Repent. The kingdom is here, and you don't get to define what it looks like. God has done that. And what it looks like is people who are faithful to God. It doesn't matter what country you're from. 
It's people who are faithful to God. Now, like I said, everybody loved Jesus of Nazareth. He was cool. Cool message. Cool, you know, tricks, miracles. Not tricks. <laughs> tricks are for kids. Jesus did miracles, right? Jesus did these mighty works, right? And he, and people just loved it. They loved it. They loved him. They loved his message. They loved the show. They loved the whole thing. Jesus, in his ministry, he ends up, you know, he's this super popular prophet that everybody's coming out to hear thousands by the thousands, and he goes back to his hometown of Nazareth. And something different happened. Luke chapter 4, starting verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. Now, let me, let me tell you what's going on here. Jesus, this crazy, super popular prophet from a little town of Nazareth, small, you know, little town or whatever, and, and the people there are so proud of him. They're like, can you believe it? Like, like Joseph, you know, Joseph the carpenter, that was his boy. Like him, he, like he used to run around here with us. I, you know, I'm sure they were telling stories. Well, one time, you know, I used to cut Jesus' hair and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, they're telling all these stories. That they're so proud of him. Just so, and so what happens is he comes back. And now, where I grew up, the, the people are not nearly as proud of me as they were of Jesus. But, but what happens is whenever we travel home for Christmas or whenever we're, you know, back in Oklahoma, uh, both of my brothers are pastors and Jamie's brother's a pastor. And we'll, you know, we'll bounce around to their churches while we're there and, and just say hi to everybody and, and, and that sort of thing. And inevitably... One of those churches is going to ask me to preach while I'm home. One of them almost always does, right? And so I always go prepared, show up at church with a sermon tucked into my Bible because some, some pastor is going to come up to me and say, hey, man, we're glad you're here. Would you like to preach today? And, and so I'm sure I'd be honored, you know, or whatever. And so, and so I do that. It's a similar thing is going on here with Jesus. He's back in his hometown and they are proud. Like the greatest prophet that has come to Israel in centuries turns out to be from their hometown. And they're like, make sure you come to the synagogue. You know, we, we, we'd love it if you read some scripture to us, that sort of thing. So this is where Jesus is in this story. Um, so he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. And then he reads this passage from Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah that we read last week that was a prophecy of who, what the Messiah would be like. And he reads this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, every man, woman, boy, and girl that was in that synagogue that day, they had heard that passage their entire life because it was one of the passages that they had been taught, this is what the Messiah will do for us. He is going to set us free. He'll release us. He has come. This is, this is the Messiah. They knew. They knew what this prophecy meant. Jesus stands up. They give him the scroll. He unrolls it. He finds that passage. He reads that. And then Jesus does the most baller move in the history of Scripture. He does this. He says this. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. So that he, they just heard him read this passage of the Messiah. And he just hands back their scroll, sits down, and then he drops the mic. And he says, <laughs> all eyes are fixed on him. And he began to say to them, 
today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he went from this prophet that they were all crazy proud of to standing amongst them, sitting down, all eyes fixed on him, saying, that guy, that, that just happened. That's me. That's me. And if you read further on in the story, you find out it doesn't go well for him that day. That they actually tried to throw him off a cliff that day. And, and yeah, I know, seriously? Right. Yeah, tried to throw him off a cliff. It does not go well. So again, everybody loves Jesus, the prophet. Everybody loves Jesus of Nazareth. Mm. So, Luke 9. Luke 9, verse 18. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. Now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Like, it's not like Jesus Christ. That's what, it's not like his last name. And his, his middle initial is definitely not H. It is, it is Christ. This term Christ is, is not a name. It's a title. It's a title. You are the Christ. In fact, it would be more appropriate if it was translated Jesus the Christ. Jesus, Jesus the Messiah, the promised one, the one that God would send. Jesus. And so Peter, you know, he says, who do you all say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ of God. Like he gets it. He suddenly gets it. This guy we've been following around, hearing all these messages, seeing all these mighty works. This guy's not just another prophet. Even though a prophet is a big deal, that's not, no, you're the one. You've got, it's got to be you. It's like all these puzzle pieces are starting to drop into place in Peter's head. And he's like, no, it's you. You're the one, my. You're the one my granddad told me about when I sat, sat on his knee. You're the one we've been waiting for. You're the one that's going to set everything right. It's you. Jesus' response to him is, is great. He says, um, says, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus, you know, he would, Jesus would also, often do mighty things or it would be somebody would get it that he was the Son of God and he would say, don't tell anybody this. And it wasn't like this it was because of some big sort of weird secret, conspiracy type thing. You know, it wasn't like that. It was just that back in his day, if anybody stood up and said, hey, everybody, guess what? I'm God. They were going to throw rocks at that guy until he died. That's just the way that went down. That was not okay. That was not kosher by any stretch of the imagination to go around saying you're God. And so when Jesus occasionally would say, yeah, you got it, but don't tell anybody because there's still work I have to get done. I'm not ready to go out yet. There's still prophecies that have to be fulfilled. There's still work that has to be done. Don't tell anybody yet. The last point I want to bring out is this, that pretty much most people love Jesus of Nazareth, but few are ready for Jesus Christ. That's still true today. That wasn't just true back then. It's still true today. Everybody loves Jesus. 
Like Jesus, man, that guy, like if, if, if we would just get behind the things that he taught and the way he said to live life, man, this world would be happy and peaceful and we'd get along better. If we would just get back to the teachings of Jesus, even if you're not a Christian, you talk to people out on the street, random conversations with people on the street, they're going to tell you Jesus, Jesus. Yeah, we should get back to what he used to, you know, if we just do that. But Jesus as God, Jesus as the savior sent to pay the price for our sins, Jesus as the one, my Lord, who I submit my life to, who changes me in fundamental ways, who, who, who I give myself completely to. No, I'm not about that. Like, I just like the dude, Jesus. He was a good dude. But Jesus, the God, I don't know about that. So many of us love Jesus of Nazareth, but you're not ready, quite ready for Jesus Christ. And I'm saying, and I, I want to tell you this. You cannot have it both ways. You just can't. In fact, it's, it's actually absolutely insane to say something like Jesus was a good teacher if you don't believe that Jesus was God. Like, I don't, I'm not saying that figuratively, figuratively. It is literally insane to say that because Jesus doesn't give you that option. Jesus doesn't give you the option. If If he is not God and you go back and you look at the things he said and the things he did and the way he called people to live their lives and the sacrifice and things like that, if he's not God, he is an absolute lunatic. Like we we see that guy walking around this, this town today. We're turning him in. Go lock this guy up, get him some help. If he's not God. And I want to tell you that as wise as Jesus is, as hungry as you might be for his message, as hungry as you might be for the kind of changes socially and politically and, and, and spiritually in your own life that he talked about, as hungry as you might be for all of that, he's not interested in, in another fan. What he's interested in is in you giving your life to him. Giving your life to him. So I want to challenge you this morning. In the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to move from Jesus' prophet to Jesus' something else. I'm trying to like unveil this as it was kind of mentally unveiled to the people Jesus came across to. They didn't jump on the God bandwagon immediately. It took them time to get there. So we're going to take a little time to get there too. Was Jesus an amazing prophet from God? Absolutely he is, was and is. But he, there is so much more to Jesus than just being a good teacher. And I want to invite you back to find out what that more is. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much uh, for your servant, Jesus. I thank you for the example that he gave to us. I thank you for the, the lessons that he taught us. I thank you for the way that he demonstrated your power to us. But God, as we talked about earlier during the communion time, most of all, I just thank you for his sacrifice. I thank you that he alone could be the one to heal our relationship with you. Thank you for sending him. God, help us not as you know a church 2,000 years later Help us not fall into the same trap that 
Israel of old fell into, thinking that somehow we could just say some words or claim a particular group or whatever, and everything would be all right, God. But remind us that with you, it is faithfulness that counts. So God, help us to be faithful. Where our faith is small, we trust you to be strength for us. Continually, continue to make us into the people that you've called us to be. We love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name.